Brother, I've seen all kinds of dishonesty in my day, but this little display takes the cake. Don't get dramatic now, all right? Just a flesh wound. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, I thought it might be interesting to talk about law again. Longtime listeners know I love to research the crap out of everything. And that, of course, applies to my career, the law. I was always fascinated by laws and old laws and new laws and obscure laws and crazy laws. Laws kind of reflect the way society is and the way people are. They reflect how people treat each other. They reflect societal views of things. You can see that these days. Look at all the crazy laws that are being passed, most of them unconstitutional. And we'll see as they go through the court system. These laws infringing people's rights to vote and to exist, they're going to get thrown out. But the laws that a society passes do reflect the kind of society that you're talking about and that you're living in. And I've always been fascinated by that. That comes from my fascination about history and about people and, yeah, about the law. Now, there's a lot of dumb little laws out there. Dumb little laws like the law in Chicago, passed in 1881, that made it illegal to be ugly. Yeah, seriously. There are dumb little laws like that on the books all throughout the United States and throughout the world. But back in 1881, an alderman in Chicago decided he wasn't happy looking at ugly people. So he introduced an ordinance to ban people who were, quote, diseased, maimed, mutilated, or in any way deformed so as to be an unsightly or disgusting object, unquote. So basically, if you looked ugly, you weren't allowed in Chicago. Because, of course, people didn't want to be uncomfortable looking at other people's ugly mugs. And here's the thing. If you were deemed too ugly to be in public, you had to pay a fine of between $1 and $50. And I guess the fine was determined by the amount of ugliness. Although I'd love to know who the judge was who got to make that call. Oh, and yeah, if you couldn't pay the fine, you had to go to the poorhouse. Yes, they actually had a poorhouse. If you couldn't pay your fine, they didn't send you to jail. They sent you to a literal poorhouse, where people too poor to pay their fines had to stay. That law was on the books from 1881 to 1974. And there's lots and lots of stupid laws in this country and around the world. As you might expect, we could probably fill hours with those. But what I wanted to focus on today were the laws dating back thousands of years. Because ever since there's been organized society, there's been organized laws. And a lot of those laws, by today's standards, would seem draconian. And I use that word purposefully because draconian laws actually come from the ruler Draco, who many believe was the first one to put written laws into place in ancient Athens. Now, the word draconian basically means being unnecessarily strict or barbaric or both. And those early laws by Draco that date back to the 600 BC period, they were very draconian. They were very strict. They were very barbaric. There weren't sentencing guidelines. There weren't levels of penalties. The rule under Draco was, commit any offense, the punishment was death. Murder? Death penalty. Steal a pig from the farmer down the street? Death penalty. Sleeping on a public park bench? Death penalty. I mean, it made it simple. If you were convicted, death penalty. I mean, the theory behind it, I guess, makes sense. Draco felt that if you committed a crime, it was so unforgivable that you deserve death. You don't commit crimes against society. I mean, there's definitely a purity in his logic. You violate the rules of society, you don't get to live in society. Literally. According to legend, the laws were actually written in blood rather than ink to show how serious Draco was. Whether that's true or not, nobody knows for sure. 
But the draconian laws didn't last forever. Actually, when he was out of power, they kind of moderated the enforcement of these death penalties for everything. But the word draconian came to us from that because everything was so severe and so barbaric. But looking back through time, which I've done and which we're going to do today, death penalty and torture was one of the favorite methods of punishment dating back thousands of years. The other thing that's consistent is the horrible treatment of women under the law dating back thousands of years. So you can tell that men were writing the laws because women were just property, a possession. They weren't protected like men were under the laws. For instance, you can go back to the Sumerian Code, which is 2,000 years before Christ. Now, there's not much left of the Sumerian Code. They have fragments of it. But they found enough to put together certain impressions of the law in the Sumerian Code. Pretty standard death penalty for murder. But then you get to the laws on rape. And this is an indication of just how badly women were treated. Now, if a man raped a woman, that's punishable by death. But if the victim of the rape was only a slave, then there was just a fine of a little bit of silver. If a man rapes a woman and pledges to marry her, all is forgotten, and she becomes the wife of a rapist. If the man claims she was out unescorted and he didn't know that she belonged to a family or household, that was okay. So while the initial penalty was there, there were lots of little outs for the Sumerian men. If you remember your history classes, you may know or remember that the Sumerian Code led to the Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi came after the Sumerians and before Draco, our good friend. But Hammurabi was also very, very strict. Basically, the Code of Hammurabi had an eye-for-an-eye type of punishment system. You steal something from A, A gets something of equal value from B, death penalty for murder. But there were little nuances. For instance, Hammurabi had death penalty for murder, of course. They also had the death penalty for thieves. Except thieves had outs, too. If the thief was caught with stolen property, the thief could plead that they bought it from a merchant. Then they could bring the merchant before the court. And if the merchant was found to be the thief, then the accused thief was let off, and the merchant would be executed. However, if the owner of the alleged stolen merchandise didn't have anyone to back up his claim, if he falsely accused the thief or falsely accused the merchant, he would be put to death for filing a false report. And speaking of false accusations, the Code of Hammurabi had ways to address that. Anyone could bring any kind of case against anybody else, but they better make sure they had the proofs to back it up. Just as with the stolen merchandise, if you brought a claim against somebody, breach of contract, breach of promise, if the accuser can't prove the case, the accuser gets put to death. I suspect that cut down on frivolous claims. Now, sometimes these cases went to court. Other times, the cases were trial by ordeal. One of the popular ordeals that they would put these accusers to, or the accused, was basically a swimming challenge. One method of proving innocence was for the accused to throw themselves into a river or to be thrown into the river. The belief was that if the current swept them away or they sank, the gods had determined that they were guilty. However, if the accused could swim to shore, they were found innocent, and the person who brought the charges in the first place would be executed for his false accusation. Lots of death in these early codes. As I mentioned, a lot of these laws had really weird or really unfair ways of dealing with rape and very abusive of women. You can look throughout these laws. Women were viewed as property, and that's been consistent through thousands of years of history. The Hittites, you may have heard of them dating back to about 1500 BC. They had the Code of Nesalim. The Code of Nesalim had some interesting laws, not only about rape, but about bestiality too. Yeah, they codified that. Rape, if it occurred outside, the man was considered at fault and sentenced to death. 
However, if the rape occurred in the home or inside a building, it was deemed to be the fault of the woman, and she was sentenced to death. How do you think those trials went? The man said it happened inside. Who do you think they're going to believe? Under the Code of Nesselim, if you struck a woman while she was pregnant and she miscarried as a result of you striking her, there was a fine involved, ten half shekels. I'm not sure what a shekel was worth, but let's assume it's not a lot. However, if you struck a slave woman who was pregnant and caused her to miscarry, the fine was only five half shekels. I guess the good thing is there was at least a fine involved. As I mentioned, the Hittites also had some weird laws about bestiality. And this is the weird kind of stuff that always fascinates me. What the hell's going on in people's minds? Because you know if they're putting these laws on the books, people are doing this stuff. It's just like warning labels on appliances these days. Like you see the warning label on a blow dryer, do not use while in the shower. So you know somebody did. So the fact that they had special laws on bestiality under the code of Nesalim indicates to me that they had a problem with these issues. For example, anybody found guilty of having sex with a dog or a pig was put to death. However, if they were found guilty of having sex with a horse or a mule, the punishment was that they could no longer appear in the presence of the king. If you were found guilty of having sex with a cow, it was up to the king to decide whether the person would live or die. Then they had a provision where if an ox was trying to have sex with a man, the proper response was to substitute a sheep for the man than to kill the sheep and the ox both. But if a man was being mounted by a pig... There was no punishment for anybody, either the pig or the man. Now think about this scenario for a minute, or rather all of these scenarios. For them to codify laws to address each of these specific instances, that suggests to me that there was a lot of weird stuff going on with the Hittites. I mean, seriously, think about that. Why do they need such specific laws? And who determined the level of punishment? What are the sentencing guidelines for this? How'd you like to be in on the conversation? Was he with a dog or a mule? If it's a dog, he dies. If it's a mule, ah, he just can't hang out with the king anymore. It's crazy, right? We also have the Code of Asura, which governed the Assyrian people about a thousand years before Christ. Again, an example of how women were treated as property. According to the Code of Asura, women who were deemed to be honorable needed to wear a veil in public. Obviously, prostitutes and servants weren't considered honorable, so they didn't have to wear a veil in public. But if they did wear a veil in public, they were stripped down, received 50 lashes, and had hot asphalt poured over their heads. Yes, seriously. Under the Code of Asira, if adultery was found to have occurred at the request of a married woman, the man would go free and unharmed, but the woman's husband was free to exact his revenge in any way he desired on his wife. Also, sex between men was strictly prohibited. Punishment? Castration. So they took their sex very seriously. It's amazing to me that a lot of the views about sex and about women that formed the foundation of these laws 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, still apply for a lot of people today in this country. I mean, look at the 12 tables that were the first known written laws in Rome, dating back to 450 BC. Under the 12 tables, women, actually starting out as girls and leading up to being full-grown women, Women were to be under the watchful eye of a guardian, whether a parent or a husband, because women were deemed to be lacking in disposition. Also under the Twelve Tables, deformed children were just instantly put to death. They were deemed not worthy. If you sang a song about someone that wasn't true, that was punishable by death. If you put a curse on someone, that was also punishable by death. If you cut another farmer's crops, that also meant you were put to death, but 
at least you were sacrificed to the goddess Ceres, so it was a more honorable death. And following on the eye-for-an-eye philosophy of the Code of Hammurabi, if you set fire to someone else's house, that means you were bound and set fire to yourself. Eye-for-an-eye. Of course, as time passed, the laws evolved. (laughs) No, they didn't. We've been kind of beasts about law for centuries. In 400 AD, 400 years after Christ, so 1500 to 2000 years after these laws that I've just talked about, the Code of Theodosius was just as bad. The Code of Theodosius was intended to consolidate Roman law and Christian doctrine. Ah, yes, the religious right getting involved in the laws as far back as 400 AD. They had the usual death penalty for murder, but then they added in the flavor of Christianity to make it more interesting and give you more things to punish people for. Anyone caught making a sacrifice to another god, not the Catholic god, not the Christian god, but to another god, would be executed. Anyone failing to execute somebody making a sacrifice to another god, also executed. Converting a citizen from Catholicism, also punishable by death. Citizens who didn't follow Catholic teachings were deemed demented and insane. Those who spoke out against the church or simply voiced other beliefs were stripped of their rights as citizens. All churches were to be surrendered to the control of the Catholic Church. And those that didn't follow suit and follow the Catholic Church's teachings, the people in those churches were considered heretics. And heretics were punished with severe fines and, yes, you guessed it, death. They took their religion very seriously. Hmm, wonder what that reminds me of. I mention these things because these are laws and codes of laws that date back thousands of years. And yet, when you review them, you see a lot of overlap between the thinking that went on 3,000 years ago and the thinking behind some of the laws now, the anti-abortion laws, the laws affecting the LGBT community. The laws that are passed today reflect the same kind of mindset that government, or rather, that certain people in the government should determine how other people are viewed and perceived and what rights they should have. You can see that in the old laws. You can see that in the new laws, too. And that's the importance of justice, that's the importance of equality and of equal rights, because it's not just the lawmakers, it's not just the people in power who should have rights and who should be protected by the law. The law is supposed to protect everybody, and the law is supposed to be administered fairly. That's one of the reasons we have an Eighth Amendment in this country. It protects people from cruel and unusual punishment. Going back to our good friend Draco, death penalty for murder, I can see it. That's kind of an eye for an eye thing, and it makes sense. But death penalty for stealing a watch, or a cup of coffee, or a cabbage? That's what those old laws required. Our laws have evolved to protect people. At least we like to pretend that they have. As a mature, grown-up society 3,000 years removed from death penalty for stealing cabbages, we like to think we've gotten beyond that. But have we really? And look at the laws that are being passed now. Just pay attention. Look at the anti-women laws. Look at the sexual orientation and the gender identity laws that are being passed. And make no mistake, they're cloaked in neutral language, but they're targeting a specific community. It's like a throwback to 3,000 years ago. We like to think we're evolved, but are we really? One of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode today was to show you how it used to be and what direction we're supposed to be going. Right now, it seems like we're backtracking a little, and we don't want to do that. So I wanted to make you aware, we're going down the wrong road here. Laws are not intended to single out one particular group. In this country, under the Constitution, we're all supposed to be treated equal. And if that's not happening, if the laws that are being passed are not making sure that everybody is being treated equally, there's a problem.
I didn't think that any episode about the old laws would be complete without visiting some of the old forms of execution. Yeah, they had the usual stab somebody, hang somebody, throw them in the river, let them drown, stone them. Yeah, stoning them to death means you throw rocks at them until they're dead. But human beings being what we are, we got creative over the years. And this is one of those aspects of the law that also fascinates me. How evil can we get by the way we punish people? There's lots of evil things you can look up. People can be horrendous to each other. And I wanted to share three of the more disturbing things that I found in my studies. And that way you can lose sleep over it just like I do. I'm sure you've heard the term keelhauling. Keelhauling was a way of punishing sailors or prisoners on a ship. And we've all heard the pirate phrase, I'll keelhaul ya. Well, actual keelhauling is kind of savage. You take a prisoner, tie a rope to the mast of the ship, tie the other end of the rope to the prisoner. Then you throw him off the front of the ship, let him get dragged under the ship, along the bottom of the ship, and that's it. The bottom of the ship is called the keel, and when you keel haul a victim, you're dragging them under the ship, scraping them against the bottom of the boat, and punishing them that way for whatever the crime was. Keep in mind, the hulls of ships weren't really clean and smooth. They were wooden ships with barnacles and other things clinging to the bottom of the ship. And so keel hauling somebody would rip them up for sure, and probably drown them. And if they didn't drown, they'd probably want to be drowned. There's another one called the Roman Candle. No, not the firework. You'd think it was the firework. It's not the firework. The firework actually gets its name from this form of execution that dates back to Nero's time. You know, Emperor Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned. It's said that Nero used the Roman Candle form of execution to punish Christians after Rome burned under his rule. It was a particularly grisly way to kill people, but quite effective. The guards would tie the prisoner to a stake, cover them with pitch or oil, or wax, and then burn them to death from the feet up. They would serve as torches for Nero's parties. It was a grisly and humiliating and painful way to go, and typical of Nero. Now, those two are bad, and there are other bad ones that I've come across, but I'm telling you, this one probably takes the cake. It's called blowing from the gun. You may have seen it mimicked in westerns or in cartoons, but what happened is those who were sentenced to death would be bound hand and foot and strapped to the front of a cannon so that their backs were covering the mouth of the cannon. And what would happen is they would tie them to the cannon and then fire the cannon. It was quick, but can you imagine the buildup? I mean, I would think a guillotine would be bad. I would think a firing squad would be bad. I would think a gallows would be bad. But I think being marched out to a cannon and being tied to a cannon and hearing the fuse sizzle as they're ready to shoot the cannonball through my back, I'm sure the cannonball didn't make a small exit wound. Probably the only good thing about that death is the quickness. Oh, I could do a whole episode on how evil people are to each other in the forms of punishment, oh, and torture, that has been administered under the auspices of justice over the decades, over the centuries. But that's another reason behind the Eighth Amendment, to avoid this kind of nasty crap that people do to each other. Cruel and unusual punishment is prohibited, and thank God for that. This was a weird little episode, wasn't it? But this is the kind of thing that's always fascinated me. History, yes. The law, yes. But also, how cruel people can be to each other. I read about this stuff and I try to understand it, because I've never understood it. How can you be so cruel to people? I mean, it's one thing if you have a mass murderer, Charles Manson, John Wayne Gacy. That's one thing. 
But just to be evil to people and evil to women and evil to children just because, I've never understood that. And I wanted to mention it today because of what's going on in the world around us. We're legislating against women. We're legislating against gay people. We're legislating against trans people in a world where we're supposed to be treating each other with courtesy, dignity, compassion. We shouldn't lose sight of that, that that stuff is happening, and we should do what we can to stop it from happening. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of things. As always, I can't thank you enough for your support, and I thank you for all the time that you spend here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.